Uh, can I get you to turn with me, please, to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 20? Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 20. We're coming to the last sermon in our series on uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. He's already dealt with all the main things that he wants to deal with uh, in the Philippian church, climaxing the passage last week. He's at uh, the end of the letter, verse 21 to 23, which are greetings we dealt with. Um, we looked at briefly when we looked at the greetings at the beginning uh, of the letter. Uh, so we won't do that again today. Uh, we're finishing with verse 10 to 20, which will actually circle back to the theme at the beginning of gospel partnership. Uh, so let's pray. If you've got Philippians 4, 10 to 20, let's pray. Ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your spirit through your word. Uh, and we pray that um, you will help us as we, as we read this word now. Uh, may your spirit strengthen me to preach your word rightly and in his power. Uh, may he work in each of our hearts and point us to Jesus. Uh, and may he enable us to truly say, it is well with our soul. So we commit this time to you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why do you have a standing order with your bank uh, to transfer your pledge to the church each month? Or why do you put money in the collection box or scan the QR code for giving each week? Why are you concerned for stewardship and giving, either here at St. Mary's, if you're part of our community, or in your home church, if you're visiting us today? Some people give because it's expected of them. Some people give because they want to keep in God's good books. Some people give because they think by giving money they get more in return. Some kind of investment scheme. None of those are good reasons for giving. Don't you ever put money in the box in order to keep in God's good books. Rather, you don't put anything in the box if you're going to do that for that reason. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to put you and keep you in God's good books. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. You come into God's good books and you stay in God's good books by trusting in Him. Not by anything you can do. Certainly not by anything you can give. Don't transfer the money to church just because you think that God will give you more back. That's not giving to God. At best, that's trying to use him. And at worst, it's trying to bribe him. It's not generosity. And don't give because it's expected of you. It's not about fulfilling other people's expectations. Giving must come from the heart if, it has to have a, if it's to have any value at all. So why give? Well, to answer that question, let's have a look at the way that Paul thanks the Philippian church for the monetary gift they sent to him as he ends his letter to them. And as we do so, we'll see that financial partnership is part of gospel partnership. A financial partnership is part of gospel partnership because gospel partnership involves money. Back in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, you remember when at the beginning of this letter, Paul was thankful for the partnership that he had with the Philippians in the gospel. From the first day, that is when he first brought the gospel to them, until now, the time when he wrote this letter. 
And now in verse 10 of chapter 4, Paul remembers what it was like when he first received this recently received gift. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Interesting how he says he rejoiced in the Lord. Right, we've seen already, right, that he's called us to rejoice in the Lord, uh, to make Christ our joy, our, our, our boast, our prize, the thing we value the most. Paul rejoices in Christ, yes, for who he is, for what he's done to save him. He rejoices in Christ, but not just for the big benefits of justification, sanctification, glorification that we talked about recently. Those are the big, big, big things. But he also rejoices in him for his present blessings because the Lord is the giver of all good things. And he was particularly thankful to Christ that the Philippians had shown their concern for him again by sending money to support him in ministry and in jail. And notice how in verse 10, the, the thing, the big thing he's thankful for is not the money, but the thoughtful concern they have about him, which the money represents. And it's not as if they weren't concerned for him before. They were, but for some time there'd be no chance, no opportunity, no need to show it in this practical kind of way. And so he quickly ends at the end of verse 10, you're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. But Paul does remember how they cared for him earlier. If you go down to verse 15, we see that when they first received the gospel, when Paul left Macedonia, it's the area where, where the, the, the Philippians lived, right? there was no church that entered into partnership with him in giving and receiving except the Philippians. They were the ones who were supporting him. And even before he left Macedonia, while well, he was still in the Macedonian area, but in another town called Thessalonica, in verse 16, they sent him money there at least twice. And now after all this time, Paul is in need again, and once again, they are there for him because they're concerned for him, because they are partners in the gospel, because they share ministry together. And friends, financial partnership is part of gospel partnership. We are partners together in taking the gospel out. We are partners together in making Christ known. We are partners together in seeing God's kingdom grow and looking after his people. Different partners bring different gifts into the partnership and money is part of it. If we think about our giving as a tax or a chore or a legalistic obligation, then we are thinking about it the wrong way. We need to remember we are partners in ministry. And partners work together to achieve a purpose. Putting money into gospel work is part of gospel work. It's part of sharing in the ministry. Now, the Philippians didn't get to do it all the time, especially with Paul, at least. But we at St. Mary's, we, we can do it with each other all the time. Whenever we put money in the collection box, or we scan the church QR code, or we transfer money online, we are saying, or at least I hope we're saying, we are partners together in this. Right, so it's not about looking for loose change and we're embarrassed when, you know, a collection bag comes around and, oh, yeah, go and be, you know, paise. Right? It's not, not a feeling of obligation when someone sticks it in front of you. No, no, We have to deliberately go to the box. We have to deliberately go and scan the code. We have to deliberately go online, set up our, 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 um, our, our standing order or our transfer. Why? 
because it's a decision. We have a sense of partnership with the gospel work that's being done here. So it's good to be purposeful in how we give. Think and pray how you can be involved, how much you contribute to the partnership, all those things. If it's helpful to use the pledge system, then do that. Right? You, can, you can do that online at our website. Um, in, in, my, in my family, we find it helpful to do a standing order with online banking so that the money is transferred each month to fulfill our pledge because otherwise I always forget one. Right? Um, but online, standing order, some will go to the general fund, some go to ministry workers fund, some go to MTS, the ministry training scheme fund. The general fund gives us opportunity to partner with all the activities of the cathedral and indeed the diocese. The Ministry Workers Fund gives an opportunity to partner with some of our gospel workers like Tim and Dinesh and Daniel and Stephanie and John Sivakoti by meeting their financial needs as the gospel goes up. Right? They get paid a fixed salary by the cathedral. It's not like more money going to the fund, they get more. No, no. Right? But the money for their salaries comes out from that fund. And so we, as we contribute to it, we are collaborating with them and their ministry as the Philippians partner with Paul. And then the MTS fund gives us the opportunity to partner with the cathedral in training the next generation of gospel-centered, Bible-based, disciple-making leaders for God's church so that the work goes on beyond our time. A gospel partnership involves giving and receiving. Uh, and I'm grateful for many people in this congregation who share, who contribute to that partnership by sharing either financially or in kind, uh, or both, uh, in this ministry. Money is part of the work of the kingdom. And through the Apostle Paul, the Spirit reminds us of that today. However, this does not mean that Paul is a prosperity teacher. Yeah? There are false teachers who go around trying to raise funds by saying that God wants you rich. Now, God longs for you to be rich, to have all your financial problems solved, but you're blocking it by not giving your money away. So the way to be rich is to give money to the church so God will bless you and make you... Okay. Of course, they might put it in a bit more spiritual kind of way, but essentially that's what it's saying. Friends, that is not what gospel partnership is about. God's goal for us is not to be rich, but to be more and more like Christ in our character. God's plan for us is not that we should be greedy, but that we should be godly. And God can use riches as part of his plan to achieve that, or he can use poverty as part of his plan to achieve that. Or he can use different things at different times like he did with Paul. The world sees success as getting more and more money. God sees success as becoming more and more like Christ. What he wants us to learn is contentment. Because that's what godliness looks like when it comes to money. Contentment. And so in verse 11 to 13, Paul diverts a little bit to talk about contentment. He wants us to clarify, or he wants to clarify rather, that the reason he's telling the Philippians about his joy in the Lord for their care is not because he's trying to hint us in the sense of more. Right, verse 11, he says, Not that I was speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see what he's saying? He rejoices in the Lord for the gift from the Philippians. He's not ungrateful for it. In fact, he says in verse 14, it was kind of them, or literally good, or commendable, or proper of them to share in his troubles. That sharing there is that same word for partnership, communion, fellowship, uh, right? but with a little prefix on the front to indicate togetherness. So they're all sharing with him uh, uh, in his troubles. Uh, Paul was suffering in prison, and they're giving him this gift, and they were sharing with him in that suffering. So he's not ungrateful. But what's important to him is not so much the money, but the concern and partnership that stood behind it. Uh, as far as Paul is concerned, with the money, he is content either way. He knows what it's like to be rich. He knows what it's like to be poor. He knows what it's like to have, you know, 10-course Chinese banquets or whatever the equivalent was in those days, right? And he knows what it's like to go hungry. And he says he's learned to be content in whatever situation God has placed him. He can, in verse 13, do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Well, that's another verse that's often misquoted, isn't it? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can pass my exams, I can get that job, I can win that girl, I can sell that house. Right, but look at the context. Kenneth, where's Kenneth? <laughs> Don't worry, like, Kenneth knows the context. He was just setting things up. When Paul says he can do all things through him who gives him strength, he's not talking about scoring straight A's in the exam. He's not talking about being successful in his business. Not talking about closing that deal. He's talking about being content in whatever situation God places him. I can do riches. I can do poverty. I can do hunger. I can do plenty. I can do abundance. I can do one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can we say that? If God's goal is to make us more like Jesus, then contentment will be one of the lessons he wants us to learn, isn't it? There may be all kinds of circumstances in which we need to learn to be content. It may be in the area of finances, learning to be content with what God has given us rather than pining for what he has given others. But it may be in other areas. May need to learn to be content with the family he has given us. May need to learn to be content with the gifts and abilities he has given us. With the body he has given us. We may need to learn to be content with some other circumstance which we've been put in and we don't have a choice about. We may need to learn to say, it is well with my soul. How do we learn to be content? It is through him who strengthens us. We need to learn to rejoice in Jesus, to prize him and his death for us on the cross above everything else. We need to learn to realize more and more deeply that actually that is the only thing of lasting value. That is only treasure that lasts forever. On the judgment day, the only thing that's going to save us from God's condemnation is the righteousness of Christ, that perfect faithful life, life that Christ lived and we didn't credit to our account. Now since taken away, debited to his, paid on the cross. That is of lasting value. Otherwise, no matter 
what are circumstances now? There'd be no hope in the end. But knowing Christ, belonging to Him, being found in Him, means having the most valuable thing in the world. Means having that all sorted out. Means being assured of eternal life through faith in Him. Everything else pales into insignificance. Beside that, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. and The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Knowing Christ helps us to be content. And knowing that the future is secure in Christ helps us to be content now. It's easier to be content in this life when you know it's only temporary. When you know that your destination is so great and so good and so permanent, doesn't matter so much love whether you're sitting in first class, second class, or third class on the train there. Doesn't matter so much love whether the passenger beside you talks too much or ignores you or is pleasant and friendly. Of course, it still matters, but not as much as it, because you know where you're going. Furthermore, it's also easier to be content in this life when we learn to see things from God's perspective. When our priorities begin to align with God's priorities. When holiness becomes more important to us than gain. And character more important than convenience. It's not to say contentment is easy. I know that as much as you do. But we have Christ who gives us strength. And as God throws different situations our way, we can learn to be content in all of them as we find our true joy in Him. So what are the main things we learned so far? Gospel partnership involves money. And secondly, the main attitude God wants us to have towards money is contentment. Thirdly, we'll see that giving is part of our relationship with God. The fact that Paul is thanking the Philippians for their financial gift, reminding them of their history of gospel partnership, may have been misconstrued as a lack of contentment. Uh, they may have thought that the thing that's driving him, what he set his heart on, is, is their money. Now, he's already subtly corrected that one, but he wants to be absolutely clear. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Right, what, he wants, what he really wants by telling the Philippians all this is it's not that they'll give him more money. That's not what motivates him. Instead, he sets his heart on the fruit, the interest, the profit that accrues to their account. He's teaching them about giving because he knows it's good for them to give. It's good for them to be partners in the gospel. From his point of view, he's not actually fishing for more gifts because they've actually given him everything he needs. Verse 18, he says, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They don't owe him anything, he says. Uh, and remember how he is, knows how to be brought low or humbled and how to abound? Well, he's actually well supplied. He's abounding. He's on the abounding side at the moment right? because of what they already sent him. But from their side, the good thing about their giving is what it spiritually represents. It is, at the end of verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Friends, in the Old Testament, 
the Israelites expressed their worship to God by offering costly sacrifices in the temple. In the New Covenant, Christians offer our whole lives to God. We worship God with all of our life. And part of the way we do that is by financially supporting gospel ministry in a sacrificial way. Because all our life is of worship to God, then what we do with our money is part of it. And so our money becomes an offering to God. And if God's will is for the gospel to be going out into all the world, and for people to be growing as disciples of Christ, then when we give to gospel ministry, we are partners in achieving his plan. That's why it's good for the Philippians to give, because that's an expression of worshipping God, which you are made to do. And so learning to be sacrificially generous with what God has given us is part of our worship to God. It is good for us spiritually. And it goes both ways. As Paul was well supplied in verse 18 through the gift of the Philippians, God would supply the Philippians' needs as well. Now Paul says in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Right? Their giving to Paul was part of their worship to God. And the God who abounds in every way knows how to look after them. And that is true of us as well as we worship God with our money. God supplies every need. That is every kind of need that we have. Now this is not prosperity gospel, right? It gives seed money and blesses abundantly as if we can buy God's blessing. It also doesn't mean we don't work because work is the usual means through which God gives us what we need. In fact, we read elsewhere, if we refuse to work, then we shouldn't expect to eat. God doesn't promise us here material riches or that we will always abound. Lying if I said he did. But our Heavenly Father will give us whatever we need for our service of him, including our daily bread. As we seek first his kingdom, all these things will be added to us by the one who feeds the birds of the air and clothes the lilies of the field. So he will look after us materially, yes, though not necessarily in the way we might want him to. He gave Paul both poverty and abundance at different times according to what he needed at the time. He gave him both plenty and hunger at different times and taught him to be content in each. He will give us what he, in his wisdom, knows that we need. And most importantly, from back in chapter 1, he will bring us on the last day, pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness to himself, that righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to his praise and glory which is what we really need. God supplied Paul's needs for the Philippians, and he would supply their needs as well, in whatever way he saw fit. And so in verse 20, Paul ends with a doxology. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, what have we learned today about money and giving? First, 
we've learned that gospel partnership involves money. We give because we are partners in the gospel. Secondly, we learn that the main attitude we need to develop towards money is contentment. Our attitudes to giving and our attitudes to receiving should reflect that. Thirdly, we learn that being partners in supporting gospel ministry is part of our worship to God. We give as part of our response to the God who loves us and looks after us in every way. It's part of our relationship with Him. So why give money for ministry? Whether it's St. Mary's or any other gospel ministry. It's not limited to St. Mary's. Give because you have been touched and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give in response to what Christ has done for you. Give as an expression of thoughtful concern and partnership with others who are doing gospel work. Give as part of your growing in godliness and contentment. Give sacrificially as part of your lifestyle of worship. Give to advance the kingdom and give for the glory of your God and Father who supplies all your needs in Christ Jesus. And to him be glory forever and ever. Amen.